Father, we praise you and we thank you. We acknowledge, Lord, that everything comes from you. This creation, Lord, the beauty of the sky, the rains that we've had that have fed our fields and our flowers and our lawns. The sunshine, it's gonna make them grow. Promise the warmth of summer on the way. We thank you, God, that everything that we enjoy, our community, our homes, the clothes on our backs, the food that we will eat this day is all from you. Lord, we praise you, we lift you high, and we ask you to open our hearts and teach us about how your kingdom, how your economy works. God, I wanna pray a special blessing on all those who are graduating this season, whether it, whatever stage of education that might be from, I pray blessings on them. I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to be working in the hearts and the spirits and the minds of those graduates, that they, they might be open to where you are leading them for the tasks that you have for them in this life, for the ways that they can be ambassadors of your kingdom, wherever that is that you lead them. Bless them provide for them. And may they have a spirit, Lord, of generosity, always seeking to give to this world from your kingdom. Help them, Lord, to be givers, not takers. I pray, Lord, a blessing on, on us as a gathering of Jesus follows in this community, Lord. Help us to exemplify your spirit each and every day, each and every moment in every relationship. And may our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, may they all be instruments for your use. Lord Jesus, we pray together the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to congratulate uh, all of our graduates. Good for you. Proud of you. To quote Dr. Seuss, oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the thinks you're going to think. And I'd like to start today as we enter into this new series. I'd like to ask us all to think a big think. Okay? I'm going to stretch us a little bit to think a big think, and then I'm gonna bring us down to something, and we're gonna end with something very simple. And the big think begins with a story that was sent to me by a dear friend a few weeks ago. It was written uh, and presented at an academic conference 
And the name of this uh, talk is called Mr. Tear. When I was about 14, I was seized by enormous waves of grief over my parents' breakup. I had read somewhere that running would help dispel anguish, so I began to run to school every day down Park Avenue in New York City. I was a great, big, overgrown girl, five feet 11 by the age of 11. And one day, I ran into a rather frail old gentleman in his 70s, and I knocked the wind out of him. He laughed as I helped him to his feet, and he asked me in French, accented speech, are you planning to run like that all your life? <laughs> yes, sir, I replied, it looks that way. Well, he said, bon voyage. Bon voyage, I answered, and I sped on my way. About a week later, I was walking down Park Avenue with my fox terrier champ, and again, I met the old gentleman. Ah, he greeted me, my friend, the runner, and with a fox terrier. I knew one like that years ago in France. He said, uh, where are you going? Well, sir, I replied, I'm taking Champ to Central Park. I will go with you, he informed me. I will take my constitutional. And thereafter, for about a year or so, the old gentleman and I would meet and walk together often several times a week in Central Park. He had a long French name, but he asked me to just call him by the first part of it, which was Mr. Tayer, as far as I could make out. The walks were magical and full of delight. Not only did Mr. Tayer seem to have absolutely no self-consciousness, but he was always seized by wonder and amazement, astonishment over the simplest things. He was constantly and literally falling in love. I remember one time when he suddenly fell on his knees, his long Gallic nose raking the ground, and explained to me, Jean, look at this caterpillar. Ah, I joined him on the ground to see what had evoked such profound a response, that he was seized by the essence of a caterpillar. How beautiful he is, he remarked. The little green being with its wonderful, funny little feet, exquisite, little furry body, little green feet on the road to metamorphosis. He then regarded me with equal delight. Jean, can you feel yourself a caterpillar? Oh yes, I replied with the baleful knowing of gangly, pimply-faced teenagers. Then think of your metamorphosis, he suggested. What will you be when you become a butterfly? Un papillon, eh? What is the butterfly of Jean? What a great question for a 14-year-old girl. It was wonderful. People of all ages followed us around laughing, not at, at us, but with us. Old Mr. Tear was truly diaphanous to every moment, and being with him was like being in attendance at God's own party, a continuous celebration of life and its mysteries. But mostly Mr. Tayer was so full of vital sap and juice that he seemed to overflow with everything. Always he saw the interconnections between things, the way that everything in the universe, from fox terriers to tree bark to somebody's red hat to the mind of God, was related to everything else and was very, very good. 
He wasn't merely a great appreciator engaged by all his senses. He truly penetrated, was penetrated by the reality that was yearning for him as much as he was yearning for it. He talked to trees. He talked to the wind, to the rocks as dear friends, as beloved even. Everything was treated as personal and sentient as thou. And everything that was thou was ensouled with being, and it thoued back to him. Perhaps the most extraordinary thing about Mr. Taylor was the way that he would suddenly look at you. He looked at you with wonder and astonishment. He joined, he looked to the unconditional love joined to a whimsical regarding of you as a cluttered house that hides the Holy One. I felt myself primed the depths by such seeing. I felt like these evolutionary forces wake up in me by such seeing every cell and thought and potential palpably changed. I was yeasted, I was greened, awakened by such seeing, and the defeats and denigrations of adolescence were redeemed. I would go home and tell my mother, who was a little skeptical about me walking with an old man in the park every week, mother, I was with my old man again. And when I am with him, I leave my littleness behind. That deeply moved her. You could not be stuck in littleness and be in the radiant field of Mr. Tayer. The last time I ever saw him was Thursday before Easter Sunday, 1955. I brought him the shell of a snail. Ah, escargot! he exclaimed, and then proceeded to wax ecstatic for the better part of an hour. Snail shells and galaxies and the convolutions in the brain and the whorl of flowers and the meanderings of rivers were taken up into the great hymn in the spiraling world of spirit and matter. And when he finished, his voice dropped and he whispered almost in a prayer, Omega, Omega. Omega. Finally, he looked up to me and said quietly, Au revoir, Gene. Au revoir, Mr. Tayer, I replied. I'll meet you in the same time next week's Tuesday. For some reason, Champ, my fox terrier, didn't want to budge. And when I pulled him along, he whimpered, looking back at Mr. Tayer, his tail between his legs. The following Tuesday, I was there waiting where we always met. He didn't come. The following Thursday, I waited again. He still didn't come. Champ looked up at me sadly. For the next eight weeks, I continued to wait, but he never came again. Turned out that he had suddenly died that Easter Sunday. But I didn't find that out for years. Many years later, someone handed me a book without a cover, which was titled, the Phenomenon of Man, and as I read the book, I found it strangely familiar in its concepts. Occasional words and expressions loomed up as like this echo from my past, and when later in the book, I came across the concept of the omega point, I knew. I asked to see the jacket of the book, and I looked at the author's picture, and of course, I recognized him immediately. There was no mistaking that face. Mr. Teilhard was Pierre, Théard de Chardin, 
And if you don't know who he is, he was a great Jesuit priest, <laughs> alchemist, paleontologist, poet, and mystic. Gene goes on to say, during that lovely and luminous year that I had been meeting with him outside the Jesuit rectory of St. Ignatius, where he was living most of the time. Pierre Tejard de Chardin, after reading the story of Gene's encounter with him, I had, to, I had to find out more about him. So I went to the used bookstore here in Pella, the old church, and I found an old paperback copy, and I started to read it, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. The dude was a scientist. He talked about things that had to do with math and physics and paleontology and the universe. And I later, as I finally went to Wikipedia, which is more my speed, I learned that he conceptualized things that nobody else did. And for a while, the Roman church, in fact, at the point where Jean was meeting him outside of St. Ignatius, he had been told by the church that he could not speak, that he was not to write anything about his thoughts. He was basically relegated to the rectory and was to remain silent. but his ideas couldn't be stopped. So there's a lot that he has to say, but I'd like to share with you one of his theories, the one that Jean talks about in her story, the Omega Point. You see, Teilhard believed that everything in creation would someday converge into one. And this wasn't just a theological concept, it was, a, it was a scientific undertaking. And you may, if anybody knows anything about quantum mechanics, there's a school of, of thought based on his omega point that the entire universe as it is expanding now will eventually retract. And when it retracts, it will go back to the single point of creation from which it came. Isn't that fascinating? So I want, to, I want to latch on to that, all right? So that's the big think. But let's, let's try and bring that down into what we're talking about in the next six weeks. Number one, John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, the Word, the Logos, Jesus, the incarnate Word. In the beginning was Christ. The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, everything flows from the Alpha. 
everything. God, our creator, is a generous, giving, amazing, lavishly generous God. And from the alpha point of creation, he has created everything. And we have access to it. We're part of it. Okay? So the alpha point, everything comes. Now, interestingly enough, I thought about the omega point in Revelation, the 22nd, or 21st chapter. Let's go to the very end of the story. Revelation chapter 22, or chapter 21, sorry, verses 1 through 6. Now we're at the end. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. Isn't that interesting? How, do we, how is it going to pass away? Maybe it will all converge back to the alpha. Boom! And explode into a new alpha. There'll be the old has passed away. The new has come. In Christ, there's a new creation, right? So he's passed away. There's no longer any sea. There's no, there's no space between God and man. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Write down these things, because they are uh, trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So everything flows from the Alpha. Everything is flowing to the Omega. And in fact, if you go, go back to Revelation chapter 5, real quick, you're 20, 21, go back to chapter 5. I actually, <laughs> I have much of this chapter on a card, and I oftentimes, right there at the back of the, of the auditorium, I will, I'll be reading it and quoting it uh, as I praise in the service. Why? Because I figure this is the throne room of heaven. This is, the, this is what happened. This is the worship in heaven. So I just, hey, this is kingdom come. Let's, I figure I might as well just repeat it right here on the earth. But I noticed as I was thinking about this whole concept, he says in uh, chapter 5, they are singing a new song. It says, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons of every tribe and language and nation and people, and you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then he says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth. Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's pretty much, pretty much everything. So understand, again, everything flows from the alpha point, from Christ, 
and is proceeding to Christ. And when we get to heaven, everything is going to return to him, including all the wealth. In other words, here's the point, and follow me on this, stick with me. Everything is his. I do not own anything. I don't. Now, I may steward it. It may be in my position, possession for a time. But everything is flowing back to the omega. In fact, Jesus, in chapter 12 of John, he's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration in which Peter, James, and John see him transfigured. They see him in all of his glory. And he's coming down and he says to his disciples, look, when I am lifted up, and the word there in the Greek is exalted, when I am lifted up, I will draw all to myself. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek there, the word for all, and then translated by the NIV as all men. But the Greek word basically just says, it's a, it's a, it's a word that is translated in many other places, just everything. I draw everything to myself. And the word draw there, the image in the Greek, is like a fisherman drawing in his nets. Isn't that fascinating? So everything flows from Christ. Everything is being drawn back to Christ. That's why he died and rose again. And everything is proceeding to Christ. Now think about this as we think about the king's economy. Our scripture today, by, we're finally getting to it. The scripture today is actually in Matthew chapter 6. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. A really common, well-known section of the Sermon on the Mount. 19 through 24. This is what it says. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the omega is, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, of the, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? None of you, no one of you can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And the word there, mammon, means wealth. So it's just, not just money, but it's, it's all stuff, material stuff. Okay? Now let's unpack this. As we start talking about practicing the king's economy, um, Kevin has often said that the most controversial subject that he, in his 30 years of preaching here, the most controversial subject that, that he gets the most stuff about is money. Not sex, not anything, it's money. And when he preaches about money, he gets lots of pushback which I find fascinating. And when we start thinking about economy and we start thinking about 
God and mammon. We focus on the money. And we get to the, oh, you can't serve both God and money. And I know for myself, that's what I've always kind of thought about. Well, it's all about what I do with my money. And I'd like us to step back and, and think about it not in terms of the dollar bills and the change and the balance in our bank accounts. I want us to think about it in terms of God's economy. And if you look at Matthew chapter 6, Notice something interesting. In fact, I'm going to read it. I uh, just read it in the NIV. I want to read it in the, uh, the message, which I also have here. Bear with me as soon as I can find it. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten up by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile your treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. Isn't it? It's obvious, isn't it? Here's the simplicity. It's obvious. The place... Where your treasure is, is where you most want to be. It's where your heart is. Your heart defines where your treasure is. So there's the heart. He then goes on to, your eyes are the window to your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, like Mr. Taylor, if you open your eyes and see that everything comes from the Alpha, that everything is headed to the Omega, that everything is connected and it's all part of God's kingdom and the flow of what God is doing in this great story, then your body, your heart, your mind will be filled with light. What did Jean, how did she describe Mr. Taylor? It was like light. <laughs> it's like being in light, surrounded by light whenever I'm around him. By the way, Jean went on to become one of the great thinkers of our generation. Do you think that there was a divine appointment for that 14-year-old girl to meet Mr. Taylor and walk with him for a year? Absolutely, because God was flowing through him to her and the things that she had for him. Do you see the flow? See, that's part of God's economy. It's not about money, it's about everything that God is doing. Everything in creation. So if you're Eyes open in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live, listen to this, squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, then your body fills up like a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. So we have heart and we have eyes. And then it says, you can't worship. And the word serve there in the Greek is really about worship. You can't worship God and the stuff. You're going to serve one or the other. Bob Dylan sang it. Going to serve somebody. <laughs> so think through this with me. If we, if our heart is open and filled with God's spirit and he is flowing through us like that wind at Pentecost, then my eyes are going to see things differently. And if my eyes see things differently, then I am going to make different decisions with what I do 
and how I relate to stuff in this world. Everybody likes to think when we're talking about, about uh, money, the story of the rich young ruler. Wendy and I have talked, we've just had tons of conversations about the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, really wealthy, young man, got everything going for him, and he says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, um, you know, keep, keep the commandments, you know, you, you've read the book, you, you know all the stuff. And he's like, well, I've done all that since my youth. And Jesus says, well, one thing you lack, and that's this, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And it said that the, the man went away sad because he was really wealthy. That's one we struggle with a lot because it's like, well, is it wrong to have wealth? Is that, is, that, is, is that for all of us? I mean, are we, am I supposed to sell everything that I have and give it to the poor? Well, the question really is, am I? And that's the question for each of us. What are we supposed to do? But I don't believe, I can't justify with Scripture that that was a command that was given to everybody. It wasn't. Think about Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus, that Jesus rose from the dead. They were rich. They had a lot of money. It's where Jesus stayed. They were good friends. They housed him. They took care of him. And it was Mary who came to Jesus the week or so before he was going to die and brought in the really expensive perfume and anointed him. So here's what I'd like us to look at real quick. Mary and the rich young ruler. Because Jesus didn't tell Lazarus, Mary, and Martha to sell everything they have and give it to the poor. Why not? Why would the rich young ruler have a problem with it and Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't get that command? See, we love, we love everything in this world to be the same, right? We, don't we worship that? Everything, everybody should be the same. Everything should be the same. But the kingdom economy isn't like that. It's not. So why not? Well, let's go back to our scripture. Where was the treasure? The rich young man, his heart, his heart was all about his wealth. He even says that. He went away sad because he was really wealthy. See, he had all the stuff. The one thing he lacked was I, I just want to add to all my stuff the assurance that when I die, I'm going there too. I got everything in this life. I just want that one assurance I'm going to get there too. But Jesus looked at his heart and said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, you don't get it at all. See, your heart is in the wrong condition. You're just looking at spirituality as an add-on. in the way that you can come to church and be a member of this church and still not get it. Because you're looking at it just, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come and pay my dues and hopefully I'll get into heaven. No, 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 if, you're, if that's where you're at, you're not in the flow, okay? So his heart was hard. Mary, what did she treasure? Well, we know from the earlier story, 
She sat at the feet of Jesus. She hung out. She hung on his every word. Her heart was open. She just wanted to sit and listen to Jesus and have it. She wanted to know everything that he had to say. She wanted to spend time with him. She wanted to be in relationship with him. Lord, whatever you need, whatever you do, I'm here. You need a place to stay, I'm here. Whatever you need. And I just want, I want to be with you. So that's where her heart was. Well, well, what about the eyes? Well, the rich young man, his eyes were squinty-eyed. Greed. See, he didn't, he didn't want to sell all of his stuff and give it to the poor. Why? Because I got all my stuff. I asked all this stuff. It's mine. I don't want to give it away. His eyes were squinty. Out of envy and greed, he built up his fortune. And his heart was full of darkness. Mary... And the interesting thing about Mary, her eyes were open. In fact, as I read the accounts of Jesus in the last couple weeks of his life, I think that Mary is the only person who got it. The disciples didn't get it. Jesus has been saying for weeks, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to hand me over to the chief priest. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. The disciples are like, oh, no, 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 no. No, not going to happen. Mary comes into Jesus. She's the only one with her eyes open. And she says, well, Jesus, if that's the flow, if you're supposed to die, and you keep saying that you are, and this is what's supposed to happen, then here, let me take this $100,000 bottle of perfume and anoint you for your death. She was in the flow. She saw what Jesus was talking about. And when she, her eyes were open, she was spurred to lavishly, generously take maybe the most expensive thing she had and pour it all over the King of Kings. And what about, what about the worship? <laughs> the rich young ruler... He walked away, sad. His spirit was dark. He was sad. He pulled down the, he pulled down the blinds. Mary, she wept. And she worshiped at Jesus' feet. And guess what? About 10, 12 days later, she would get to be one of the first people to see him alive. See, it's all about the flow. Stop thinking about the money. It's like, like trying to study a forest by looking at one leaf. Money isn't, money isn't the be-all, end-all. Money's, money's just a thing in the flow. But if everything comes to me from Christ, and all that I have and all that I am is from Christ, then, and my eyes are open to see what Christ is doing around me, the needs, what Christ is flowing here, what God's doing over here, I might notice that 14-year-old girl in the park and go, I need to take her for a walk. I might see somebody in need and go, I got what they need. Let me take care of it for them. 
See, they're in the flow. And now everything that I have is not mine. It is a resource given to me in order to keep the flow going. To provide, to be a resource for the king economy here, right here on earth. And the more it flows, the more I worship. Do you ever notice how everything that Jesus talks about is like a flow? Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. Give and it will be given back to you. So heart open to the flow, eyes open to what God is doing, I don't have to worry about being extravagantly generous. Because guess what? Number one, it's not mine. Number two, if I give, it will be coming back to me. In the same way? I don't know. That's up to him. But it's all his anyway. <laughs> and when I live in that flow, in that spirit, it changes the way I think about my money. Because my money is just another one of the stuff. Our daughter asked me, she said, Dad, I was going to ask you, you know, a couple years ago I became CEO of our company and majority owner, and my daughter asked me what it was like to be a success. And, Dad, you kind of reach this, you're kind of in your business, you kind of reach this place, and, you know, you, God's blessed you, you make good money. And my response to her was this, and this is true. I always assume that I am one phone call away from living in a van down by the river. And that's honest. I remember being 13 years old and my mom literally sitting me down and saying, Tom, um, yeah, some things have happened and I just want you to know that we might get a call in the next week and we might lose our house. And if we do, we don't know where we're gonna live. So, I know. <laughs> I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to have a lot. And guess what? My life really isn't any different in either place. <laughs> it's really not. And when you live in the flow, I literally, yeah, the phone could ring. My clients could go away. I could end up without a job tomorrow. And guess what? I'm not worried. Why? Because I'm in the flow. And if that's what happens, then that is what God has planned. And guess what? God is going to take care of me. Right? So here's where we're going to land. We, in the next six weeks, are going to talk about the king's economy. And I want us to don't think about money. Think about flow. Think about all your stuff being from God, all your stuff, including your money, being a resource that God has given you to bless others, and think about the fact that everything's just going to go back to him anyway. Okay? So think about it in those terms. And here's what I'd like to challenge us to do. Once a month, over the next three months, June, July, and August, my challenge is for each of us 
to make a conscious decision to be extravagantly generous, whatever that might be for us. And I'm going to ask you to be in the flow. I'm going to ask you to, to ask God. God, I just want to be in your flow. And I want my heart to be open <laughs> to give when you tell me. I want my eyes to be open to see the need that you want me to meet. And God, I want you to give me the grace to just let it flow freely. And here's the challenge. If there's not a piece of your mind going, um, uh, no, um, no, 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 too generous, uh-uh, that's going to hurt. That might be a little too sacrificial. Then you know it's the right thing to do. Once a month for the next three months. Do you know that our church for years has had what we call an ends policy. It's kind of like an outcome statement. What is it that we want our community, our world around us to experience when they come in contact with us? Here it is. 15 years this has been in place. I wonder how many of you have never heard it. People who come in contact with us. So think about that at the store, in the park, in your neighborhood, at work. When people come in contact with me, they will experience the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. An ever-deepening intimacy with the triune God. In other words, people will experience something they can't understand simply by being around us. The same way that Jean experienced something every time she took a walk with Mr. Taylor. That's what we're talking about. And they will experience an ever-increasing sacrificial generosity of this body. Fruit of the Spirit, the presence of Christ, sacrificial generosity. I don't know if you know this, but Third Church, Kevin just shared it with our teaching team this last week, Third Church gives away just over 40% of our annual budget. 40%. And that's up. I remember when Kevin first told me about that, about 10 years ago, it was about 30%. So it's been growing, and I can tell you that Kevin's desire is that it gets over 50. In other words, we give away more than we use as a church. Now, I want you to notice something. If you look at the email at what our budget is for this year and look at what our giving has been, We're not like all the other churches in America that are dying right now because nobody's giving. We are being abundantly blessed with more money than we need. Why? It's really pretty simple, isn't it? We're in the flow. 
we understand that if we don't practice generosity, if we don't give, then it's not going to be given to us. Our worship, our ministry, our fruitfulness has everything to do with us being in the flow, hearts open to the Spirit's wind through us, eyes open to the need, generously giving all to him. And when we are in that, the worship in this place, the power of Christ in this place will go off the charts. Ask the worship team to come on up. So three things, three, one thing, every month for the next three months. And then we, as a teaching team, has been talking about a bunch of ideas. We're going to actually have, I don't even know what the, Kevin hasn't really finalized the plan, but we're going to have a board, a big board <laughs> somewhere. And we're going to ask people just anonymously, again, this isn't, about, this isn't about merit badges, right? But we want to share what God is doing in and through us so that we can worship together the cool things that God's doing in the flow. So as you have ideas of what you have done, you can write it down on a card and place it on the board, and then you can, you can read about all the things that God has, has flowed through people to do, and it might help you to open your heart and eyes a little bit as well and give you a few ideas. So we got that happening. Uh, so let's plug in and be part of it here for the next couple of weeks. I want to like pray. Go ahead and stand as we get ready to worship, would you? God, yeah, from you, through you, to you, <laughs> all glory and power and majesty and strength and wisdom and wealth and stuff to you be all the glory and praise. Help us to open our hearts and worship with hearts and eyes open and full of your light. Amen.